The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about how to find hope at a time of loss. And my guest, Dee Burt, who is an expert in educational psychology, um, will take you on her personal journey and show you how she managed to find hope at a time of loss. Um, she, her loss had to do with uh, losing her husband by suicide, but whether you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, or the loss of a dream, you still need to go through some of these same um, feelings and and same uh, measures to dig yourself out. So Dee is also the author of a, a relatively new book. You need to tell me exactly when it was. Um, called One Side of Suicide: Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving. Welcome to the show, Dee. Thank you so much, Dr. Lieberman. Um. When did it actually come out? In 2006. Oh, okay. Relatively, relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell us about, you know, I, I, I guess the first thing that you need to tell us about is so that people don't think, oh, no, just what we need to hear when the world is going down the tubes. Someone dealing with suicide, I, I don't want to hear about suicide. It, uh, I feel like killing myself myself right. today, um, some people will be saying. So let's, uh, let's start with something positive and, um, in terms of how, what you learned and, um, and why you wrote this book, and, and then we'll get into your personal story. Okay. Well, I, I have learned a lot since my husband's uh, suicide, and that was 1987. And at that time, I couldn't do any kind of a show like this. Um, you know, that was shock and a lot of denial and a lot of guilt. And I, I can honestly say to this day that I'm a happy person and I have a lot of joy in my life. However, I had to go through a lot of yucky stages that I didn't particularly want to go through, um, but you can't really go around it. You can't ignore it. So um, for me, I attended different groups, and that helped me process and speak to other people and see other people who had experienced um, the suicide of a loved one and the different stages that I observed them. And I saw them laughing again, and I saw some of them that were, it was pretty raw still, and um, so I just decided that I would just kind of allow myself whatever I needed to process and 
ended up taking some. I ended up starting college after he died, and did had a lot you, of writing. I was curious about that. Had you planned to um, to go to college before he died? You know, I had always wanted to. It, it it really threatened him. I have kind of a oh a different situation um, with the suicide. I know that there are a lot of other people that who share my situation, but I don't think it is as broadly discussed. Mm-hmm. But there was a, there was abuse, and I we didn't want to rock the boat. You know, he didn't want me to go to college, and so I stayed home. And we had three children who are fabulous, and they were you know wonderful. And I will always thank him for them and other things too. But it wasn't until after he died that I started my first class, and that was um, right. Well, it was psychology. <laughs> uh, yes, I diagnosed myself all that semester. Um, but then uh, the next uh, class was writing, and I um, the assignment was to journal, and I journaled and journaled and journaled all kinds of fear and pain and guilt, which later. Um, was the very was the core of the book one side of suicide through the through the process of writing it was very healing for me and I, I know that it's healing for a lot of other people um, it allows them to express and I think that that's probably one of the number one things that people need to do is have a safe place to express what they're going through and not feel judged yes you know you mentioned something um uh, that I don't want to let slip away. You were talking about how um, you saw these people experience joy again and laughing again and so on. And one of the um, frustrations as a psychiatrist that I have uh, in in um, dealing with patients who are suicidal is trying to... Have, it, it's very difficult, and I'm sure you can speak to this, um, you know, from your own experience, it's very difficult to um, get people to realize when they are in this dark place uh, contemplating suicide to realize that it seems really dark, it seems hopeless, it seems like you just want to stop the pain. And actually, you talk about that in your book, mm-hmm. which was incredibly well written, by the way. Thank you. Um, and how if they could just get past that, that, darkest point um, and realize that there are days on the other side of that where they will laugh again and smile again. And, you know, the people who, I mean, I guess on the other side of it, um, uh, people who who were brought back from um, the edge of suicide and who then went on to live um, life that where there was joy and to accomplish things that they never anticipated that they would accomplish and so on, you know, you realize how and they realize um, what they would have missed if, in fact, they did go through with their plans. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, they're, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which I'm affiliated with, um, I'm on the Indiana board. Anyway, um, the research says that 90% of people who die by suicide have have demonstrated risk factors, mm-hmm. you know, that other people could recognize or they could even discuss. But a lot of times they don't feel comfortable discussing that until, and then the depression gets deeper and darker and, and more clinical. And 
this is my the way I feel about this is that the person really doesn't want to die. They just really most times they just want to get rid of the pain, as you said. But when once the clinical depression takes over, it's almost like that component is making the decision. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no longer that darling, precious person, you know, that yeah. the people thought, wow, you know, I can't believe so-and-so because they were always such so uplifting to me. But when that takes over, that's, that's, that's serious. Um, and more and more people, that's why for me, I, that I, I'm a part of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention now, is I want to be on the prevention end. I want to help schools, um, you know, uh, educate teachers and um, other staff and parents, when they reckon, when they see those kinds of signs, just flat out asking, you know, do you know, do you feel like hurting yourself? And give them an opening, and then not to judge, but you know, and then let them know that, you know, you're going to get help for them. You know, you can do this together, and 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 seek help because there's a lot of college campuses even with counseling centers, and a lot of those students they don't they don't show up there. Mm -hmm. You know, they yes. say, well, they don't know what to say to them, you know. Um, they don't want other people to think that they're weak, and a lot of different reasons. Um, and again, we know when that clinical depression takes over, they're not thinking straight anyway. Yes, it's an undertow. Mm -hmm. And of course, of course, all the bad press, um, which has totally mischaracterized the situation about antidepressants, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the danger of antidepressants. Actually, there's a far greater danger of people not getting antidepressants and, and being caught up in the depression than there is of, of the uh, antidepressants pushing them over into suicide. The problem is, um, and I know we're getting a little afield, but this is one of my pet peeves, mm -hmm. the problem is that um, when, when people... Are feeling, begin to feel depressed and they go to a psychiatrist or they go to, uh, mostly these days, they go to their general practitioner who doesn't really know how to prescribe drugs or which drugs to pick. And I mean, they didn't go to a psychiatry residency like psychiatrists have done, spending mm -hmm. three years, three or four years learning all of this. So they give them antidepressants and then don't see them um, the next week, don't set up an appointment or don't set up therapy. Mm -hmm. And even psychiatrists, for that matter, some of them um, these days who are just seeing people for medication, give them, give them an appointment in a month. Well, you can't do that with someone who's very depressed. You have to stay on top of it. And so there is a period of time from the time that someone begins to take an antidepressant that they become more energized. And so if they are not in intensive treatment at least once a week, um, the and and seeing the person, seeing a psychiatrist who will be prescribing this medication, mm -hmm. then there is the risk that the antidepressant will, in that short little window, um, make them feel less apathetic, less lethargic, and get them to be energetic enough to actually plan and carry out a suicide. Yeah. But with good treatment, the proper kind of treatment and the the most the more intensive kind of treatment, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, <laughs> so yeah. I just a, a to me I want to make that point because of people listening who are feeling depressed, if not suicidal, um, to to make sure that when you do go to get help, that you are seeing someone, preferably a psychiatrist, that is who is supposed to be treating depression, mm -hmm. and that you are going every week. And if you don't have a psychiatrist who 
uh, sees you every week for therapy as well as medication, then you should at least be um, seeing a psychologist every week in conjunction with the psychiatrist. And whenever you get on any kind of psychiatric medication, you need to be uh, checking in with the psychiatrist at the very least for that every week until you get to be in a stable spot. So Definitely. just an aside, but a very important one because um, because the media gives such a a wrong impression about all of this, that that's part of why people feel hopeless and, and turn to suicide because they are afraid of getting help or the, the stigma or that they don't think it mm-hmm. will help or they hear about people committing suicide when they do get antidepressants. All of these things are factors in stopping people from getting the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets complicated. Um, I think that it's important to have several things within the therapy that includes, you know, a physical component yes. and a, a counseling component and a medical medication if that's what they need, um, because they do say even after perhaps an inpatient um, treatment, when they have gotten energized, some will, some will leave and um, actually follow through with the suicide. Yes, especially because today the, the hospitalizations aren't long enough. Mm-hmm. We'll come back. We'll talk more about that when we, when we come back. My guest is Dee Burt. Her book is One Side of Suicide, Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving. And uh, we'll be back with you to tell you how you can thrive. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Healed by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about how to find hope at a time of loss with my guest, Dee Burt. She's the author of One Side of Suicide, Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving. She's also an educational psychologist, and we were just chatting about the cover of her book, which um, I actually hadn't noticed this, but in fact... um, the the cover of the book that has two candles on it, and I guess that's your diary um, open, your journal opened up. Is that correct? That is. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll go ahead and tell them the story. This is this is really uh, very interesting. Okay. Well, after I wrote the book and I we needed a cover for the book, I took my candles and my journal to a photographer. And I told him that I'm going to light both candles. And and this exercise is actually an exercise that they do on National um, Suicide Survivor of Suicide Day. You will light um, two candles and blow one out in um, honor of the person who you lost. Well, when I so I blew the candle out, and he took the picture. A few days later, he called me and he said, "I have shown this picture to all my friends." And he said, the smoke makes a heart. And when he said that, I just, I just had chills all over me. And it's because it felt like it was, it was giving me permission to just put the word out there. I didn't need to feel like I needed to hide it or feel ashamed of, you know, the personal story or anything like that. And, um, and it wasn't graphically or, you know, altered. Yes, it is amazing. I hadn't noticed before that it formed a heart, but it absolutely does. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's as if your husband was, um, your former husband was, uh, was giving you permission, was sending you his love from the other side. Right. That's what it felt like. Because he was, he 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 definitely was was loving and had a lot of spark of joy in him. Um, well, we'll start with that. So tell us about start from the beginning when you met him and and you talk about some experiences in the book um, 
holding on behind him, going on a motorcycle with his blonde hair blowing in the wind. I mean, it sounds all very romantic. So tell us about the good, well, the good years. First. I mean, we, we met each other in grade school. We were 18, and we rode his Harley Davidson to Florida back huh. in the day, you know. And, um, yeah, he, he loved that motorcycle, and he, he could pretty much take apart and put together anything. Um, he was an advanced, um, very talented mechanic. And, and you were you knew each other since grade school. Yeah, we we didn't stay connected all that time. We didn't get reconnected until toward my uh, senior year in high school. But yeah. a, a year in um, actually seventh grade, we knew each other. Uh huh. And um, you know, it was just one of those situations, though. Um, you know, you're young and. I uh, grew up with a lot of um, denial, I guess, in, in how you communicate in different relationships, and different little warning signs would pop up, but I didn't, I, I didn't say anything about it. I, didn't, I, I was taught not to make waves, and so instead of confronting something I wasn't comfortable with, I, I just kind of held my breath. Well, mm-hmm. consequently, a lot of things went around over and over and over again, and so... He, you know, continued to have, you know, temper issues, and I would just sort of back off. Well, that doesn't grow a relationship. That, Unfortunately, that grows fear and, and anger and hatred and those kinds of things. So at a time when, you know, a couple really needs to, you know, communicate, we really weren't communicating 100%, honestly. You know, we were having fun at times, but then there was that dark side that we kind of pretended that, didn't happen, even though it happened like at least I don't know once every couple months. <laughs> there was well, some. Well, big... how old were you when you were start when you started to go out with each other? Uh, Eighteen. Okay, and when did you? What was it that attracted you to him? Oh my goodness! Um, probably his laughter, his smile, the fact that he was he was a little wild, and I was mm-hmm. attracted to that. Um, you should have read my book. Of course, it wasn't written by then, but I wrote Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. Well, you know, I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it. I'll read well, it I think your husband isn't a bad boy, but you never know. <laughs> might need to... But bless his heart, you know, he obviously was very sensitive as well, and, it, and um, sensitive but macho enough not to seek help. Wait, who are we talking about now? My husband, my your, first husband. Your first husband, okay. Who died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, okay, I didn't know. All right. So so how long, um, So, and what do you think it was about you that, that drew him to you? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about that for quite a few years. Um, I don't know. I was kind of the innocent type. I think you like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, wild boy, innocent woman. Yes, yes. <laughs> Something. I don't. I. It's hard for me to really speak to that. I guess uh, we we sh- you know we shared a lot of love of nature and things like that. So. Well, now you you talk in the book about his being talented. Um, I had the imp- what 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 kind of talent in particular were you talking about? Uh, mechanically. Um, uh huh. Yeah, t- tearing apart you know all kinds of engines, putting them back together, recreating vehicles, things well, like that. Well, was there something though that I mean, did he have some dream that he didn't get to live out that was making him frustrated? You know, I think it was. Um, it could have been um, 
Well, there were chemical dependency issues as well. Mm-hmm. I think that there was some mental illness that was just, you know, kind of genetic that really didn't have anything to do with his dreams. And, you know, if he did, I didn't know about those. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know about the ones that, you know, didn't get, you mm-hmm. know, materialized. Well, how old were you when you got married? Uh, Twenty. Okay. And when you when you married, were I mean, were there all was he already um, abusing substances? Uh, not as much. It was it was it was just mo- mostly beer, mm-hmm. um, and it would kind of been it kind of go up and down. You know, have real even keel. I could be real even keel for six six to eight months. And then just a whack out binge type thing, and then of course you know I'd be all steamy and angry, and you know wouldn't communicate and all that kind of stuff. And you know it was it's like the, the cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. You know you have the honeymoon stage, and then you have the pins and needles, and you know then you have the explosion, and then it goes back to the honeymoon. It's crazy, and you do it over and over again. And I did that. And so really I feel that's another reason why I felt so doggone guilty because I was really, I had given him that message, well, this is what, this is our game we're playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He didn't know any differently other than, you know, okay, we're playing this game. And now how many years older was he? He, he, he and I were the same age. Same age, okay. So mm-hmm. wh- how old were you both when you had your first child? Uh, 25. Uh-huh. So um, were things, I mean, when do you think things started to go bad for him? Well, I think he had a lot of pressures um, at work. Um, and, of course, we weren't getting, we weren't, we weren't really happy. I mean, after a while, it wears on you. And I pretty much, I mean, at, earlier on, I drank with him. Um, you know, I didn't. Always not as much and that kind of thing, but at, before the children and then after the children, I just cut it all out of my life, you know, so I could just focus on being a mom. And well, then, then of course, when you're clear-headed, twenty-four-seven, you notice every little, you know, infraction. And I kind of became the, you know, I was like the hawk. <laughs> and of course, then I, you know, I became more verbal. Something about parenthood, I guess, it brings uh-huh. a little bit of that more out. And, um, you know, it was, it was one, unfortunately, we, I had talked to him about um, Alcoholics Anonymous. I talked to him about marriage counseling, but he wouldn't hear of any of that. And, and then, again, not just him. I mean, a lot of men, especially, at, you know, at that time in the 80s, uh, they weren't exactly, you know, jumping up and down to go to marriage counseling right. or any kind of counseling that may point to them and maybe label them weak Right. Uh, or someone who may have a mental illness or an emotional disorder or anything like that. So I think that there were just a lot of things going down, going wrong at the same time. And what um, what kind of work did he do? He was a machinist. Uh-huh. So, he was, so it was pressure, but he liked what he was doing. Yes. And, you know, there were some other things that ended up, you know, happening. He, um, you know, I, I found out that there was... Uh, he was, had been in another relationship, mm. and I wouldn't stand for that. And mm. that's pretty much what gave me, I guess. I mean, I was I, I grew up with the belief "till death do you part," right? Mm-hmm. Well, but that was the one thing that I would never put up with. And when I found that out, then I immediately uh, made plans, you know, to move and that kind of thing. And that's when, whoa, things just went crazy. 
Yes, and that's when he suicided two weeks later? Yeah, yeah. You know, know, um, we're going to be coming to a break soon, so obviously Mm -hmm. we'll have to start talking about this in the next segment. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a way, you must have been, I mean, aside from all the, you know, like what you talked about, the sadness and the guilt and Mm -hmm. and all these feelings that we'll talk a little bit more about, Mm -hmm. um, you must have been shocked in a way after he had this affair that, that your leaving him could have that much of an impact. Yeah, um, and, you know, it has been recent when um, I have read uh, literature about, um, you know, a mental illness and how much of that has to do with the, the suicide, but then there comes the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm-hmm. And that's what was most difficult for me to live with because I, um, it, I, I felt back then that I had done it all. You know, I killed him, mm-hmm. and that's where you know I had all these nightmares about you know me killing him and all this, you know, and and it was just my guilt. Just yes, it must have been so doubly hard because guilt at the same time as you're struggling with knowing that he had this affair. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was way secondary after he died. Yes, yes, but I but I mean it. I mean, on the one hand, you were angry at him for that, and then all of this on top of it. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to take a break, unfortunately. Um, We will come back with Dee Burt and her story. Her book is called One Side of Suicide, Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving, and we're following her on her personal journey. She's written this book to help everyone cope with loss, not just people, uh, of course, primarily people who have had a loved one die from suicide, but really... um, all the different exercises and, and um, things in the book will help people with whatever kind of loss they're going through. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. 
At Last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about how to find hope at a time of loss. My guest is Dee Burt. She is an educational psychologist, and she's the author of One Side of Suicide, Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving. Um, we, we, during the break, we were chatting some more, and um, Dee was talking about how um, the prior to, let's see, um, three weeks before her husband suicided, she happened to come back into the house um, unexpectedly because she had forgotten something and um, heard her husband talking on the phone and I'll let you take over where, where you realized that it was another woman and that's when you realized that he was having or had begun or an affair and that's when the abuse escalated so just tell us a little bit about that yes well I mean I think any every woman or and man as well when you find out that you know your spouse or your significant other is cheating on you I mean it brings up a lot of emotion and for me my heart was just pounding and I was so angry and scared and everything all at once but I I confronted I wanted him to know I heard and I knew and then later um, later on that day I, I you know I talked to him about you know that that we're done you know, I wasn't, you know, that was the one thing I would never accept. And when he knew I meant it, that's when the abuse started. And um, we had, you know, we ended up having a neighbor had to call the police and I had to uh, take the children and, and leave and leave no forwarding address for a couple of weeks so that we would not be followed. Um Yes, you had said that before that the abuse was more emotional, yeah. uh, threats and so on, but this was when it got physical. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is um, this whole sort of the psychodynamics behind this. Uh, men who become abusive like that when a woman, when they feel that they, the threat of abandonment um, have had some kind of experience during their childhood with their mother 
where they felt where their mother actually did physically abandon them, um, maybe go to the hospital or maybe separate from the father or or the mother the mother at least emotionally abandoned them. What what was there with your husband and his um, mother? You know, um, she was so dedicated to her her husband, his father. Um, and to, and to her children, and they were, you know, they brought them up in, you know, in a in a church. And uh, I I know I know that there was mental illness um, in within her uh, genetic uh, bond, Line. bond lines. Yes, you know, because because she had been hospitalized for something. So I think maybe there was something within that. Mm. But I do know that she loved them dearly, and I. Um, she died of cancer two months before he died. Ah, yes, you mentioned that, which was really amazing. So not only had he been abandoned by his mother, sort of a, a recreation of her abandonment, because when she was ill in his childhood, he would have felt abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she died, and he really felt abandoned. And then mm-hmm. you left. And mm-hmm. um, I guess I guess that is what... Um, you know, it's so easy to look back on this and make all the connections, but at the yeah. time, you were doing what was... Keep trying to keep your children safe primarily yeah you do what you have to do you know to, and your your basic needs definitely come first and you know safety um you know it's the fight or fight and that's exactly you know what was going through me unfortunately i mean now i would tell everyone who is listening if you are in a very chaotic um, abusive uh, relationship, or if it hasn't even gotten abusive, but it is chaotic and it feels that way, to to seek um, to seek counseling, some kind of support, whether it's online or, you know, um, within a you know a psychiatrist or a counseling office, because these kinds of things can be solved if both people work at it. I mean, if it if it matters that much to stay together, then I think that they can work. Um, I think just about anything can be solved, but not without, you know, the effort of both people. Right. And and it's hard it. when one person, you know, refuses to do that. There's a limit to what you can do. But, you yeah. know, it's interesting because um, there are people, that's what happened as one example, O.J., it mm-hmm. was when Nicole, when he felt that Nicole was really leaving him, was really, there was no way that he could get her back. When he felt at the end of the rope, you know, that she had totally turned against him, that's when he killed her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your leaving um, may well have saved your life as well as the life and certainly the psychological health of your children. Yeah, I, I have thought about that. Um, that but that is, the, the, that's the greatest uh, point of desperation, and that's when they are most dangerous. If someone is going to abuse, that's when they're going to do it, when they feel most de- desperate. Yes. So tell us about um, sort of going back full circle. Mm-hmm. What, um, th- this happened, he, he died in 1987, mm-hmm. and you had wrote these journals um, starting six months after that. And what transitioned in your life to make you ultimately decide to put this in a book to help people to put mm. your you know to to take the the basis the um, foundation from the journal and, and expand upon it to write a book? Well, I guess uh, several things. I I am a writer at heart. I, I guess I always was, and this really brought this out. And I was a kind of a quiet person, and this is one way you know to be heard is in your through your writing and, and to process. 
I remember taking a shower one morning after I, I don't know, maybe 10 years before I uh, published the book, and I just had this overwhelming message to turn those journals into a book. And when I get that kind of an electric feeling all over my body, I usually just don't question it. I just do it. And um, so I just went about, uh, you know, compiling everything and organizing it and creating a book out of it. I... I have always, you know, in, throughout my teaching, um, wanted to honor children's voices by have, helping them write their stories because I think it's very healing for each person to be able to have some outlet for their story. And, and, and that is why at the end of every chapter of One Side of Suicide, I have journal entries that are more generic but apply to the, the chapter so that the reader is actually creating their own their own personal healing um, uh, journal. Yes, you ask very astute questions at the end of each chapter and leave blank pages for the reader to search inside themselves um, for for the answers. And, um, you know, after you reveal things in the chapter, it, it sort of encourages the um, the reader to do that, you know, to to sort of copy you in a sense. I mean, not obviously mm-hmm. it's a different story, but um, but to open themselves up just as much as you did. Mm-hmm. I know one. Uh, well, I went to a survivor of suicide uh, support group meeting a few months after Nick died. Um, I just sat there and you know and watched everyone, and then at the very end. I went up to the uh, facilitator and I, I just asked him. I said, "What's the bottom line?" Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I could see myself going to these groups for like ten, twenty years <laughs> or, or whatever. And um, at first, I don't think he was going. He was going to say anything. You know, he wasn't quite sure, but he, he just said forgiveness. Mm. And you know, it's a simple word, but there's a lot there. You know, of forgiving. Nick, forgiving myself, forgiving society, you know, for having this stereotypical way that men are supposed to, you know, uh, maintain, you know, their image and and how women are submissive and all of those things. I, I, I had, there was a lot of forgiveness and it took me a long time to actually um, even begin that. But every time, you know, I, I knew that, that that is what I would have to do if I was ever, ever going to get to a point of happiness. Well, you know, um, one of the things that must have been really hard to forgive, and did you, I didn't quite understand this, and I wonder, you must have spent <laughs> countless hours, or, or I would imagine, trying to figure this out, unless, it, unless you knew right away, but Nick's suicide note, um, mm-hmm. he, he left, you came, you went to the home, mm-hmm. and... Um, I mean, did you feel, was something sort of drawing you there that day? Here you had escaped with your children. You were in a house where you were purposely making sure that he couldn't find you um, Mm -hmm. with your address and so on because you were afraid for all of you. And and then you came back to the house. What compelled you on that day to go back there? Okay, yeah. Um, Well, well, number one, he had tickets to uh, to fly to Florida with a friend, and so I thought he was in in Florida. Oh. He was supposed to have left the, the the night or two before, and we were run out of clothes and that sort of thing. And the kids missed their friends, and I thought, well, okay, but but that day 
um, I we had been over at my parents and um, the kids were in the house with my parents and I just was I was outside in the pool just laying laying on a raft in the pool and I mean I was I had just felt sick huh. and I didn't I couldn't understand why I felt you know it was just one of those sick feelings those sick gut feelings yes. that wouldn't go away and. Um, Anyway, I just decided to load the kids up and go back and, uh, you know, get some things. And, you know, I just felt creepy the whole the whole drive there. And anyway, that's what we were faced with when we arrived. The children did not see him. I actually did not see him because he was in his garage. But the first thing you came across was the note. That was on the kitchen table, yeah. And it said, no need, Nick, yeah. with a... Well, it wasn't quite a happy face. It was two eyes and a mouth, a, a straight line. You make the, you know, an expressionless mm-hmm. straight line. Well, of course we, of course the music to take a break is playing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So we will have to come, we'll have to come back to this. But okay. obviously that must have been, I guess, the worst moment in your life. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we will hear more from uh, as we go along this journey with Dee Burt. Her book, again, is called One Side of Suicide, Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Oh, and I, I, oh, I need to say something. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Dee Burt, the author of One Side of Suicide, Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving. Uh, before the break, um, at a very <laughs> pivotal moment, um, we were talking about the suicide note that Dee came across when she um, came home. You know, and I, I want to make sure that um, we tell uh my listeners, that your children at that point, your, your little boy was eight and your two little girls were five and one. Yeah. And uh, one of the most poignant parts of the book was the, the story of um, how when you and the children left when uh, and, and sort of essentially escaped to safety um, two weeks before he died, uh, your son wanted to leave the dog there because, you know, to sort of protect his father. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that was really poignant and one could certainly feel for all of you. Um, so so you went into the house, and your children were actually playing outside, fortunately, with their friends who, who saw them come back to the house. And you walked in, and you saw this note, no need, Nick, um, with this n- not-so-happy face mm-hmm. uh, sitting on the table. And what, what, what went, ran through your mind? Well, my heart, again, just starts beating, you know, out of my chest, and I'm... Um, my mind is racing because I, I think that it was already in conflict with itself, the logic and, and reading, and then trying to deny the fact that there's something really wrong. And um, a na- about that time, a neighbor walked in and uh, she read the note and she just kind of looked at me. She already, I'm sure she had already, she already summed it up. And um, she went and got her husband and asked her husband to look around. And, um, you know, when he found, you know, Nick's body in the garage and he, they came back in and told me, I was still, um, I don't know, in some kind of fog. And then the police arrived. And even when the police were asking me questions, and this is something that I really encourage police officers and, and other people, when you're questioning someone, you have no idea what that person's, what their, the trauma that they're going through. And when they were asking me, um, you know, was he on some kind of medication? And, you know, oh, I thought that maybe he was still alive because mm-hmm. I thought, well, why does it matter now? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just really confusing. And then um, my parents ended up, I, I guess one of my friends called them, and then we called um, the minister at our church. And so then, it, I mean, it was all sinking in. And then the, the children, you know, when they looked up at me, especially my five-year-old, and and asked, well, what happened? And at that split second, oh, my goodness, the lies that I wanted to tell um, that would make it normal, or if, you know, death as ever feels normal. But it is a part of our experience, and and, and there's some say that old age, that's normal, you know, or, uh, or a car accident, at least it's explainable, but someone taking their own lives, you, you tell that to a five, your five-year-old daughter who totally, you know, idolizes you, um, that, was, that was a tricky one, but, but I, I just said he died of car smoke, and then I finally, you know, you know, they're still looking at me like, how did that, you know, how did the car smoke do that? Mm. And 
So there were there were those times where um, you, you just flat out just kind of hold your breath and say the honest truth at their level. Yes. So what did you ultimately interpret that to mean? No need, Nick. Like no need to look for me, no need to keep trying, no need to run away? Probably all those things or that, you know, I I felt very guilty still, you know, when I, when I, anything like that, that he, he, I felt sorry that, of course, the flip side of no needs is having a lot of needs and none of them were met, (laughs) you Mm. know, so I went back and forth with that. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, and once a person is gone, they don't have those physical yes. needs anymore. So the logical part of of the message, I guess, was that. Yes, yes, hmm. yes. It could be interpreted in so mm. many different ways. Yeah, and a tra- traumatized mind will will just analyze every last one of them, turn it in yes. which direction. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, tell us in the minutes remaining, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that's why people need to buy your book, but um, tell us some messages that you, some of the most important messages or the most important message that you want people to, to take from this. Well, I think um, the most important is, is, is not to isolate, you know, if this happens or if you, or if you have a friend who mentions that they, they don't, they're, not, they're worthless or whatever, stick with them and, and call someone and, and take them and get them help. Um, if you are a survivor of suicide, you know, surround yourself with, with loving uh, people, but take it, don't, take it at your own pace. Uh, forgiveness definitely works, but it hits in stages. Um, yeah, I think you need to do something physical. Uh, that Christmas gift when we made him that wreath and we took it to the cemetery, um, it was a very beautiful thing. I mean, each child uh, wrapped a very special little uh, gift uh, on the wreath. I think we need to do physical things mm-hmm. as well as, um, you know, if some people do yoga, some people meditate, some people walk. I went to um, speak with a facilitator, and he, his wife had been depressed, and they had gone all over the world uh, for some sort of uh, cure for her depression. And he said that the, the thing that finally wor- worked was taking a long walk. And that's one thing that helped me. I, um, you know, and I would put our little, ba- you know, our little girl in a stroller, and I would tell myself, I am not going to return home until I can think of one positive thing. And the endorphins mixed with the walk, mixed, you know, with that goal, I was, then I, I started to train myself to thinking um, something positive. Because, uh, dep- you know, depression set in before that. I uh, I thought of suicide, and I didn't want to. It just entered my mind, and I thought, whoa, I don't want these thoughts. But I, but it was the depression pulling them. It's like you're a magnet to dark thoughts when you're depressed, yes. and they just flock around you. So you have to you have to um, have something that you you do you do to protect yourself. And sometimes it's just the exercise um, and working with a group. Um, I would go to the American Foundation of Suicide. Uh, prevention. It's uh, www.afsp.org. Lots and lots of resources there for survivors as well as to help those who are depressed or have a mental illness. Uh, join a walk. They have a out of the darkness walk for survivors because you know you're actually walking in a team of people honoring your loved one. 
um, you know, it's a sacred journey. Yes. It's, um, you know, so obviously it's such a difficult, difficult journey. And you, one that you uh, described so beautifully in your book and so beautifully today, I know we, uh, I and I'm sure my listeners appreciate all of the um, personal um, storytelling that you did, you know, opening your heart and telling people how you feel about it, felt and feel, and um, really giving a sense of what it, what it was like. Um, again, let me tell you where you can get this book, of course, where books are sold, but one good place to get it would be at penandpublish.com, uh, www. of course, pen and publish, spelled out, the word and is spelled out, penandpublish.com, and of course on Amazon and other places to buy books. And again, the title of the book is called One Side of Suicide, Experience Moving from Surviving to Thriving. And certainly, um, <laughs> although we didn't get a chance to talk <laughs> much about it, you're thriving. Well, obvious, it's obvious that you're thriving now to be able to, to look back at this place and talk so honestly about it and share it. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you are coming from a place of thriving and, and um, have a happy marriage and a happy life. And as you were saying at the beginning of the show, that you've been able to find joy and laughter again. And so thank you for sharing all of that. And thank, thank you. you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.